right, mic check, one, two, peace, everybody. This is a guest in the house podcast. I am your co-host, David Shanks, a.k.a. Trom Diggs, a.k.a. Digger Phelps, a.k.a. a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I'm here with my bro, Dr. Mickey Hess. Hello, Dr. Mickey Hess. Um, I wrote a book called A Guest in the House of Hip Hop, and I guess we're going to borrow the title for this podcast, call it A Guest in the House. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Now, the question, I guess... Let's um, let's go there. Like uh, a guest in the house. What does that mean to you? I guess I can speak on what that means to me and why we've decided to um, name our little show here, a guest in the house. Um, I think you know at the end of the day we're all guests of each other. You know what I mean? As we learn to coexist and and live amongst each other, um, in terms of hip hop and your motivation. Um, in your book, A Guest in the House of Hip Hop, I will kind of let you lead into that and how, you know, just we decided to name the podcast that. Sure. So uh, the quote comes from a podcast. It comes from the Godcast, the Naramean Godcast that Lord Jamar and Rod Digga hosted. And I believe uh, Lord Jamar originally coined the phrase in a Vlad interview in a yeah. Vlad interview yeah guest in the house of hip-hop he was referring to the white rapper Macklemore um, who'd put out a song called same love that didn't really share Lord Jamar's mentality <laughs> or his outlook <laughs> and Jamar had said well as a white rapper Macklemore should remember he's a guest in the house of hip-hop so yeah. he really has no right to come in and tell the owners of the house or the builders of the house how they should think or act or uh, vote. Yeah, caused quite an uproar. It did, yeah. And it's still going, too. I just seen uh, um, Race 5-9, like, Ooh, little clip. Maybe that's right, yeah. Two ago where he's still mad at Lord Jamal. And Eminem was trying to extend it? He's kind of like the gatekeeper of all Eminem. Like, you can't yeah. get to Eminem without going through Royce 5-9. For Which good is, reason. I, yeah, I mean, it's cool and weird at the same time, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, it's good to see Royce back out there doing things, though, hey, right? Book of Royce is one of the best. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah, Book of Ryan was one of my favorites last it's a year. really great album. It really is. Really great album. Really great album. But, yeah. so, talk about your journey as a guest, I guess, because I'm assuming the um, naming the book that had something yeah. to do with your kind of introduction and relationship with um, hip-hop and the culture. Sure. So I named it a guest in the house of hip hop, borrowing that Jamar quote. Although I don't know if Macklemore ever received like a print invitation because uh, <laughs> nobody sent me one. So maybe I'm yeah. more of a crasher yeah. than a guest. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so I've been writing books about hip hop and teaching a college class on hip hop for about 13 or 14 years. Wow. Now. And, um, you know, I grew up in rural Kentucky, listening to hip hop. Shout, shout your, shout your set out, man. Don't say rural. Rural what Kentucky. City are you from? Oh, okay, man? so what I, town. I grew up right on the border of Eubank, Kentucky, and Science go. Hill, Kentucky. Eubank, Science Hill. Yeah, Lake Cumberland, building. Pulaski County. I love it. There you go, South Central Kentucky. Okay, rep yeah. it, man. Rep so I would hear South Central. South Central Kentucky. How to survive in tough, South Central? Right? Yeah, a place where busting a cap is fundamental. Yeah, I mean, you might be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of drugs in South Central I'll Kentucky. Bet. What else are you going to do? Yeah. And get pregnant, you right? Throw a shit off the yeah. bridge, right? <laughs> That's the kind of stuff you get into. Um, but, you know, I grew up listening to Run DMC. I know that we both said before, we're around the same age. I think you're a couple years younger than me. A but, couple, uh, maybe. We heard yeah. Rock Box by Run DMC early on. And to me, you know, my dad was a bluegrass guitarist. My uncle was in a gospel quartet. That's nice. I always heard, you know, mainly country music, a little bluegrass growing up. Cool. But uh, when I heard Run DMC. And so that's around, what, 84, 85? 83, 84? Yeah. Yeah. So when I first heard it, they, they would play them on the classic rock station because there wasn't a hip-hop station yet. That is fresh. And I... To me, it felt like, well, this is mine, yeah. you know, as, as opposed yeah, to being my, my dad's. Yeah. And, you know, I <laughs> come to find out, you know, over the course of a few years, it was not exactly mine at all. Mm. Believe it or not. Mm. So here I am years later, still a guest or a crasher. Right. Did you see the, um, speaking of that, did you see the uh, AMC series that um, Black Thought and um, Questlove put together? No. They picked six songs 
that like changed the face of hip hop. Really, I haven't seen that. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, I think it's um, Jesus Walks. Okay. Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm saying that because the third episode was Rockbox. Really? It might have been the okay. second episode actually. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's um, Jesus Walks. It's um, we gonna be all right. Okay. Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. It's Rockbox. Rockbox was the third episode. Then I think it's um, Outcast. I think it's Elevators. I'm not sure. Okay. I haven't seen that episode yet. Ladies First. Of course. Puma Tifa. Of course. And um, one more that hasn't aired yet that I can't remember. But yeah. you have to see the Rockbox I gotta episode. See it. It's on AMC. It's okay. pretty awesome, bro. I gotta check it out. Pretty awesome. So, um... We have this podcast. Um, a little bit about me because I guess we haven't intro me yet, sure. other than saying that I'm here and that I'm a co-host. Um, David Shanks, Trom Diggs. I am from um, East Flatbush, Brooklyn, New York. So um, already we see, you know, contrast in, you know, upbringing and all of that. That's going to make this podcast super interesting. Um, but, um, you know, I've been rapping since I was 10 years old, so, uh, well over 30 years. Um, you know, just hip hop lifer, grew up in it, contributed what I could, you know what I mean? Thought I was a graffiti writer at the time. I'm one of those guys who's tried everything, used to pop lock. Okay. You know what I mean? There you Tried go. to write a little bit of graffiti. Beatboxed um, a little? Beatboxed. I, I beatboxed a lot. Yeah. I was probably, I was good. And, um, you know, started writing rhymes at 10, did a little bit of DJing, never really got too good at DJing. I mean, I can play records, but the tricks and stuff, never really my bag. They used to call me DJ Backspin. That's about all I could Ooh, do. Okay. Yeah. But, um, you know, went to Temple University in Philadelphia, majored in journalism, started doing a little bit of hip hop writing. And um, I guess that part of you know what i did or that aspect of hip-hop is what led us to having a relationship i met you at a hip-hop panel what year was that that was probably 2007 i'm gonna guess okay at suny rockland at suny rockland with uh dr shamika mitchell shout out to shaw money there you go and um and you guys were grad school you went to brooklyn tech together brooklyn tech high school class yeah we went to high school together and um Man, I was great because I actually, um, Dr. Chris Edmond was at that. Ooh, and I yeah. got to link back up with him, too. And we went to high school together, too. So okay. that's, that's that was super cool that I got to meet him and you. And he wrote that great book called For for White Folks Who Teach in the exactly. Hood and the rest of y'all, exactly. too. I'm exactly. always telling students in the education program they got to read Just this a book. great, great book. Shout really out to is. Chris. We got to get you on the show, Chris. We'll work on that later. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we met at that hip-hop panel. And, um, yeah, we've been rocking ever since. Yeah. So just your journey, I mean, in the last, wow, so that's 12 years ago. So that's, that's right. You, that's a while. You pretty much were just getting into the area. I think I had just put out the first book that I did on hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. I think it was called Icons of Hip-Hop. Yeah. It came out in 2007, so how, it'd be right in How there. long were you at Ryder at that point? I had been at Ryder for a year. Uh, just a year, yeah. right, because you had newly moved to um Philadelphia. Yeah, I'd moved from Kentucky to uh, Philadelphia, central New Jersey, south New Jersey, kind of bounced around. I teach at Ryder University, and I teach a a class called Hip Hop and American Culture for their American Studies program, and I started doing that in 2007 as well. Oh, that's super cool. That was right at the beginning, yeah. Yeah, and in 2007, I was um, writing for maybe small website called hip hop news i think okay maybe i was writing for yo raps.com too i don't remember i was doing like freelance okay. stuff and then i was getting like in gear i had just left like a rap group i think and i probably was just kind of figuring out like what am i gonna do yeah 2007 <laughs> 2008 in 2009 is probably when I really started going solo, like really. Okay. It was 2009 was probably, 
I was like doing shows and stuff like that. So yeah, that was like right in the transition yeah. for me too of kind of like getting getting into like the Trom Diggs thing. I saw you perform at Fluid around that time you in did. Philly. Club you Fluid, did. which was right off of South Street. Yeah. Rest in peace to Club Fluid. Yeah, man, that was a great place. It was a really and rest good in spot. peace to my brother Aronde, who was um one of the bouncers there and also just instrumental in the promoting yeah. of a lot of the um events that was there. Rest in peace to my brother. Around day, but um, yeah, fluid that was a probably 2008, right two, in there, yeah, I think right so. in there. So, yeah, we've been rocking out ever since, and just um, I always was just um, impressed and fascinated by just you know, your kind of um, your fandom, man. I never really met, I didn't, I don't know if I ever told you this, I've never met like a hip hop guy who was you know. Of European descent, <laughs> who didn't carry like a little bit of the sauce of the culture with them. Like you're okay, just I a white you, yeah. boy, sure, but you really love hip hop. Sure, you're not like the like fascinated with black culture white boy. You're not like the I'm gonna try and rap. Yeah, white boy. You're just like, hey, look. Every other aspect of me, I'm, I'm a kid from Kentucky. Sure. But I really love hip-hop music. And I really love black culture. But I, I would say I'm not fascinated. Hard, hard not it, to. Right? But yeah. I'm saying it doesn't bleed into your everyday, like you're not sagging pants. You know, like the no, cliche okay. black culture stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. Like, you're, I mean, I'm sure you love sweet potato pie. But sure. you're, well, <laughs> how can you not? Right? But you're not like, you're not doing anything like, you know, no one knows yeah. how deep you go with it off of appearance. That's true. And that's the beauty of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And at some points, that can backfire on me. I'm though. sure, but no, I've always admired that about you, man. Cool, that's yeah, good to know. Yeah, like be who you are and still like love the culture. You don't have to try and do something or be something or Shoot. anything outside of that. So I, I, that's that I always, I don't, I don't think anyone knows like how... Yeah. You go harder than me, man. Like I'm, you're like really. Yeah, you put oh, me God. on half the stuff. I'm hey. like, who? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you put me on some good stuff too. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you can't just love black culture because, like you said, that you, how can you not? And that's yeah. the easy part. But you gotta love black people. True. And that's where it falls apart for a lot of those fans who may try to dress hip hop or talk hip hop or. Uh, buy cars that fit with the hip-hop lifestyle, buy shoes that fit with the hip-hop lifestyle. Right. But, but when it comes right down to it, you know, what What really is their commitment to What's the, the commitment? To the community hip-hop comes yeah. from, to the culture hip-hop comes from? Yeah. Like, does it just stop with the music and the image? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that, that's been coming up a lot. Yeah. Right? Because of, um, you know, whether it's <clears throat> sanctioned police killings and things sure. of that nature. And... You have these individuals in hip hop who are benefiting, you know, behind the mic and in front of the mic or in front of the camera. Sure. And the question then becomes, okay, so if you're taking um, from hip hop culture and you're using hip hop culture and it's facilitating you to have, you know, a certain lifestyle, mm -hmm. when these things are happening in the community attached to the music and the culture, what is your role? You know, what are you, sure. you know, do you stand up when these things are happening? Or is it just about, you know, the paycheck that comes with yeah. doing the music or doing the culture? And so what you said is very, 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 very poignant. And you know what I mean? I won't forget that. I have to remember that you said that because it's about loving the people. Yeah, and I admit, I think I got it off a of Reef the Lost Cause Instagram post. Cool. So uh, cool. I didn't invent that, but Shout I love the way you put it. Yeah, cool. Reef is a Philly MC that we both work with a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we like Reef. Um, yeah, gotta love the people. It's yeah. not. It's not enough to just love the culture, and I think that's where the um, just the what do you want to call it? The 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 meshing or the, you know, the blending yeah. of our upbringings and our, just the love itself for it is kind of how we both move. Yeah. You definitely. know? And so that's what makes sense 
in this kind of thing. And then even going back to naming a guest in the house and just being conscious of each other's spaces and each other's boundaries and having respect for our differences and acknowledging our differences and then acknowledging our similarities and finding common ground. You know, it's easy to find what's different about people and point that out. Those things are obvious. We walk into a room, it's obvious we have differences. Sure. You know, but the beauty is like how much we're similar. That's right. And I mean, what you do with the guests is, you know, you hope to bring somebody in, get to know them. They get to know you. They're curious. They ask questions. They see what it's like in your house. And that's why I kind of like the metaphor. I know it, it sets some people off the wrong direction. Yeah. You know, Eminem, we mentioned, really rejected the idea that he's a guest because hip hop is Eminem's house. Right? right. Of course, he has much right to be there as anybody. Right. But I'm not so sure. You know, that's if you look at some of his lyrics, he's pointed out the conundrum of being a mega successful white rapper and, you know, having this legion of fans that like him just because he's white. Right. And just because they happen to be white. Right. They don't really buy other rap music. They don't really listen to other rap music. Right. Right. And some of the things he says in his freestyles, I mean, you see that he has that commitment to the culture and the people and he has that responsibility. But he doesn't like being labeled a guest. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure that would um, ruffle his feathers. I mean, he's, you know, he did the he did what you're supposed to do. Sure. He did it the right way. He didn't cheat it yeah. at all. You know, he came up in the hip hop shop. He battled his way up. He, yeah. You know what I mean? He, I mean, he's an outsider for all. And like, sure. You know, so I get that. But I think maybe he's missing, again, that other piece. Of like, yeah. Hey, this was created here in this space, sure, under these conditions, for these purposes, and you—it's ha- not just enough to kind of you know do a Grammy speech or something and acknowledge Tretch or acknowledge sure. Master you know, Ace. Yeah, nice yeah, that was cool. Yeah, but you know the culture behind sure. the actual you know music. And, and it, it's hard, you know, the more, the deeper you're involved with hip hop. And I know it just from being a guy who writes about it. You know, you, you write enough books about something, you kind of come to think of yourself as a big part of it. Right. You know, or like, right. it's kind of yours because that's your subject area. Right. You know, if somebody introduces you, you're going to do a talk. They say, you know, Mickey Hess has written these books about hip hop or they call you a hip hop scholar. And you start to think, well, sure. You know, of, of course, course I'm am. not a guest, right? <laughs> of course I am. But I mean, a guest, that's not an insult. I don't think so either. Like I mean, it's, it's, you're, be, you're being invited. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, a guest is, is, a, is an honor. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't, you know, it's no insult to anyone. Yeah. And I think if you don't address it, like for me to stand up in front of a classroom and teach a course on hip hop and American culture and not really address like, look, you know, you guys see that I'm a white professor. I don't know if you know the the incredibly slim number of black professors on the tenure track nationwide. Um, I don't know if you know uh, where university's commitment to uh, diversity stops and starts. Um, You know, you got to talk about these issues, right? I couldn't just stand up there and not ever acknowledge the fact that I'm a white guy at the front of the class. Yeah. Well, that would be like the I don't see color thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that colorblind kind of thinking can uh, lead to a lot of problems, right? Yeah. And we see yeah. people trying to bring that back. You know, if we just stop talking about it, it would all just go away. It would away. all just go away. Yeah. Well, we tried it before, right? I mean, I don't know. If, I, we were, <laughs> if we were in the jungle, you know, and you were a tiger and you didn't have stripes on, I'm sure all the other tigers are like, what's up with this yeah. tiger? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have stripes. Sure. I acknowledge that. <laughs> And then we go, hey, what's up with your stripes? And he's like, look, hey, that's just how I was born. But right? I do all the tiger stuff. And they go, cool. Yeah. It's the tiger without stripes. There you go. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. You're going to act like it's not there. Sure. No. And how do you learn? You know, how do you, um, you know, how do you figure out, you know, empathy or anything like that if you're not willing to look at what's different or look at, you know, what's unique about someone and celebrate it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about the beginning of that De La Soul, Me, Myself, and I video. And they didn't always play this part, but there was like a 10-second intro with Prince Paul standing in front of these three glasses of water. Ah, uh, yeah. And he said, you know, I put food coloring in this one, and now it's red. 
but it's still the same old water. Still the same old water. And then we cut into the song, right? Yeah. I remember seeing that. I was probably 13. I want to guess when that song came out, 14 maybe. And I remember seeing that video and thinking, well, that kind of makes sense, man. I just put it that directly. Yeah. You know, and growing up in a place where it was pretty racially homogenous. It was right. very white. And then so was, so was my, well, we had Fred, the next door neighbor. Okay. Fred was cool. They were Italian. Fred the white guy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Fred and his wife. Um, Fred Talverado, I believe. I'm probably okay. butchering that. But Fred was cool. But what's, you know what was interesting yeah. about that? I remember, um, and God bless the Talverados, wherever they are. Um, but I remember, like, being a kid kid and you know like fred would bring me baseball cards and he oh, really cool. loved my brother like loved my brother my brother played little league baseball and he loved my brother and you could see like they were like real neighbors you know like yeah. we shared because they were we shared like the same backyard real neighbors real neighbors and i remember when i was like 15 and like going down to Ave avenue d and like running into mrs Talverado and like just being like with like eight dudes, you know what yeah. I mean? And we're like, you know, eight black kids. Okay. One leg rolled up on their jeans. And I'm like, hey, Mr. Alvarado. And she's like direct, like I'm not making eye contact Ooh. with these guys. And then I'm like, what's different? Ooh, okay. And I'm like, well, bro, it's 1994 and you're with eight black guys. You know what I mean? And okay. it's just different now. It's like you're not, okay. you're not David anymore. You know what I mean? You're Ooh, like, yeah. You have to be on your porch for me to know that that's David. If you're not on the porch, <laughs> you're no longer David anymore. And that's just the dynamic. That really of, says a lot. Right? It does, right? Yeah. And that's just like the dynamic of the world. It's yeah. like once you're off those grounds, I have to look at you like I would look at any other black kid, which means I'm not even going to look at you. So I'm not even going to get to see your face and go, oh, that's David. I'm just wow. going to go, yeah, it was it was weird. So that level of intimacy that. goes, goes out the away. window. Yeah, I remember that. I remember like, wow, yeah. I'm like just a black kid now. Ooh, yeah. So you get kind of universalized. Yeah, yeah. And you remember at the time there was so much going on in the news with the idea of super predators all and all of that. kinds of crazy stuff. And the you know? the letter against the Central Park Five yeah. that Donald Trump wrote for yeah. the New York Times. Yeah. I mean, all there, kinds of stuff. There it's was an effort to scare white people of young black men in particular, and that that wasn't new to the nineties. I mean, that's been no. going on since forever. Since it's been going right? on. Since it's yeah. been going on. <laughs> yeah. Since there was an America and before there was an yeah. America. Yeah. Right? So I was saying that to say I was saying like yeah my you know on the opposite end. Yeah. You know, our exposure, but then I remember the Tavarados. So, yeah, that's a good story. It's, <laughs> it's kind of a harsh memory, huh? Uh, it, you know, it, but it's something you process as you get older. Yeah. It's not like I was 14, like, what's going on here? You know, it's just yeah. when I thought about it, like, wow, when did I like, stop speaking to Mrs. Tavarado? I'm like, oh, yeah, this became a space and time where it was like, I was too much. It was just, it was oh, too yeah. much. It was kids in hoodies and. Sure. You know what I mean? It was just, it was too much. And I wouldn't have spoke either. Like, yeah. you know, sure. it's not, it's just not, the world's not built. I respect them for never selling their house and staying in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was, that was enough. They didn't need it to do anything else. Oh, yeah. I was like, I respect that. They kept their house. Paid off or not moving. Yeah. Because you got <laughs> that whole horrible history of real estate, redlining yeah. and white flag. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, that, we can go back to that. Yeah. My, Ah man, you know I'm. I grew up in like a um, Caribbean immigrant neighborhood, like okay. Flatbush, and so yeah, I remember my family was probably in. You know, some of the um, older guys on the block would tell me. I think my family was like third on the block. Really? Wow. And it was, you know, it was like us. I think like the Cumberbatches or something. And it was like um, my boy Greg had moved on the block too. I think. And then, but they were just the houses were just selling, and that's like seventy eight. Okay. 79 the houses are just gone they're just gone and then it was like ruth which is an older lady who lived um like cat a corner to me and then it was fred next door they were like the only white people who stayed so you were moving in in 78 and the white folks were all moving out they were out of there every time okay. a house came in it was a west indian family in white family gone West Indian family in, white family gone. West and Indian now, family 40 in, years later, gone. it's the opposite almost. Right? And now they're coming back. It may, <laughs> it may not have creeped quite into East Flatbush, but it's certainly been through Bushwick it's, at this point. It, it's, in, it's in Bushwick. Flatbush, it's, they're there. Yeah. It's not rampant. 
because of um, just, you know, because of home ownership. Yeah. And because we're also, you know, well, my people are also like immigrant people. We okay. own our property. Sure. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's the dynamic that makes like East Flatbush and Flatbush different than to say Bedford Stuyvesant yeah. or like, you know, the, the um, so like the Jewish families or the um, Italian families, Polish families, whoever that owned their properties, sold their property to West Indian families. Okay. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. like say in Bed-Stuy and some of these like um, Fort Greene, these other neighborhoods, kind of like the Jewish landlord, they held on to the properties and just kind of rented. They wanted that rent income. And then they just, you know, complete slumlord situations in a lot okay. of cases. And they just sat on the properties. And then it was like, hmm. whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. And then they either sold to developers or they went back in, redeveloped, or their kids redeveloped. And you know what I mean? So they re they retained ownership Okay. until the boom, as opposed to, say, like, you know, neighborhoods like Crown Heights, where Crown Heights is like, they have to share. So there's like a large Hasidic Jewish community. Okay. But then there's also like the black West Indian Caribbean community. And then in mix of all of that are like the young kids, the young white kids. Okay. Who are like We're moving, moving in, in now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 But a lot of them are renting as well. Okay. Because, you know. That's a whole different dynamic, yeah. right? Between owning and renting. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned immigrant families owning their own houses. That's that's how a lot of people would define the American dream, it right? Is, it is the American dream. Yeah, it and then... the American uh, dream, except there's this one aspect of the American dream that, you know, we're kind of talking about. Sure. And what birthed kind of hip-hop. And that's the, you know, part of America that needs to be addressed, that America's yeah. like afraid to address you know and yeah. it's weird that you know because i share the dichotomy of being like a black american and a, a first generation american. so so to a lot of people it's great in theory to see immigrants own their own houses in america but i think a lot of white americans feel like well if they have that it's harder for me to have it or there's less money or less property to well, go around there's there's yeah there's a very um there's a fear yeah, absolutely. that is like very present today. I guess it's always been there, but sure. today there's a real fear in this country of, you know, um, someone taking from you. Sure. Taking food out of your mouth. And, and I don't know where. How, how did white people get this country again? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that happened. Okay. That so, happened. so we came in and took land initially. And uh, ever since, white mm -hmm. people have been very concerned. You know? well, if I took something, I'd probably be scared, too. Right? You got to watch your back. Yeah, I'd be scared, too. But there's also, like, um, I don't know. And you tell me, because you're from rural Kentucky. Okay. Right? So I always, you know, like, with bigoted mm. white people, and, you know, they have like this, go back to Africa or, the, you yeah. know, whatever the things that they say, the cliche things, uh, you guys, uh, you're lazy, you know, whatever they say. Sure. Right. And it's like, or, you know, you watch the, um, who was it? Michael Moore, who, who, who did the, uh, documentary where he went into like Tennessee and he like asked them about Obamacare and they're like, I would never Never. That, and then he's like, are you on the affordable care? Yeah. Um, do you can receive AC. And he's like, yeah. Sure. He's like, you know, that's Obamacare, right? Yeah. They're like, they don't even know, right? Yeah. Because so, they've heard Obamacare as a slur. Yeah. You know, anything named after Obama just can't be yeah. good. So you have these folks living in very dire situations, you know, like trailer parks, no, sure. no heat. You know what I mean? Like one generator, you know, just, just dire situations, right? And they're like, the only thing they have to hold on to is like, you know, the rebel flag. Yeah. And like, I'm better than black people. Yeah. It, but yeah, historically, these folks did not own black people. No. They were... They come from a lineage of poor people. They were poor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's were, the idea among a lot of Southern folks that their families used to be rich and yeah, lost it all in yeah, the wake of the Civil War. Yeah. The, those, those folks are still rich. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it happened to yeah. some families that losing the slaves meant losing the fortune, yeah. but I don't think it was commonplace. No. I think a lot of the um, plantation owners um, were compensated. Sure. Um, got all their land back that, that initially had been confiscated correct. and given to freed slaves. The, the idea of 40 acres and a mule, right? Correct. General correct. Sherman's field orders and Lincoln signed off on that. Correct. So, uh, correct. After Lincoln was assassinated, you know, President Johnson came in and reversed all that. Correct. Sent the army in to kick, you know, the free black folks off the land they'd been given. Correct. Give it back to the former Confederates. Correct. Who, so, like months ago, the U.S. was at war with. Correct. But. The way this thing works, it's dependent on that white population yeah. who believes what they believe beyond me. Whatever it is that they believe, I know that this system is contingent on those white people believing what they believe. Sure. Because if they ever turned around and looked at the system the same way, oh, say, yeah. oppressed black people look at the system and say, hey, wait a minute. You guys are greedy. It's always been you few people who've yep. owned everything. And you've tricked us and you've tricked them. That's it. Then the whole thing would topple. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some colonial era documents that uh, Howard Zen, for one, mentions in A People's History of the United States where it was a, a clear strategy put in writing to say, like, well, let's turn... Let's make white folks really fear the Native Americans. Yeah. Let's make sure that blacks and Native Americans don't get along because, you know, if a slave escapes, there's a free place for him, right? He right. can run off, be accepted among Native American tribes. So they would um, they would pay Native American tribes to return slaves yeah. if they escaped. Yeah. And it was a real foundation of American culture to pit people against each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly the scheme is that... Um, if all the poor people are concerned about, well, who looks like me? You know, who might be coming after what little I have? Yeah. You don't look at Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Trick knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So I remember being 18 and first going to college. I went to the University of Louisville in nice. Louisville, Kentucky. Nice. Rick Patino. Rick Patino. He's yeah. gone now, of I course. Know, yeah. I had a little scandal. That's my guy. You may have heard. Yeah. He's slick. <laughs> He's slick. He is, yeah. Well, not, not as slick as he should have been, I guess. He got caught. But uh, I remember, you know, moving about two hours north to Louisville. Okay. Um, everybody that I spoke to, especially Muhammad generation. Ali's Louisville, Muhammad right? Ali's from Louisville, yeah, Cassius yeah, Clay. Mouth, yeah, yeah, mouth but all my neighbors I would speak to, you know, folks who ran stores in my little town, they'd be like, wow, you really sure you really sure you want to go there? I mean, you know, there's a lot of black people in Louisville. <laughs> um, just the idea that they were terrified, you know, said, well, you'd never see me trying to live there. Because um, just the black, just, just the black people. Because you just yeah. never know what's gonna happen when you sure, black people right? are around. That's man. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, never mind that people are shooting each other right and left. Right. Um, all over that little town. I mean, right. my my dad's two best friends' sons were by, right about my age were both killed in gun violence. Wow. By the time you know, I went to my first year of college. Wow. Um. So yeah, fear Louisville, you know, yeah. fear the black people in the yeah. big city. Yeah. But you know, never mind. Oh, you know, my neighbor's sh son just shot his best friend. Yeah. Cuz oddly, that's, you know, how people kill yeah, people when they're yeah. they live amongst each other and they have disputes and stuff like that. That generally oh, is yeah. how violence works. So you get that phrase black on black crime. Yeah. Well, look at the statistics, right? There's no more prevalence of black on black crime than there is white on white crime. No, you no. kill people in your house, in yeah. your neighborhood, yeah, right? All the time. But how often do you hear people throw around the phrase, oh, well, that's just white on white crime. That's uh, the real problem. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, you know, bro. I don't know, man. It's rough. Yeah. But, you know, hopefully with our little um, time that we spend weekly, we can chip away at it. I think we jumped right little into it today, little. right, with yeah. this first episode. Yeah, and and cool. hip-hop taught me a lot about yeah. these issues that and I wasn't too. taught in school, that I wasn't taught in and my house. Too. And me too. Good. Me too, 100%. Yeah. I, I, man, I mean, you know, I think Tupac talked about, like, um, being raised— you know, by Ice Cube. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, like, same deal, man. Like, I learned, my like, my morals and stuff from, like, Chuck D, man. Like, okay. you know Well, that's probably I mean? better like, than Ice Cube. Yeah. <laughs> but still, Cube, you know, uh, Chuck D, yeah. Big Daddy Kane, Rakim, you know, Run, LL. Like, yeah. these guys were, like, you know, like, I 
the way I walk, the way I look, the way I, you know I mean, shake a man's hand, look him in the eye, like all yeah. of these things, like I learned those from rappers. See, I guess I had like a little second sense to a lot of that because I learned a lot about history and I learned a lot of lessons about the world and who I was in the world from rappers. Yeah. One of the main things I learned is that I shouldn't walk like Chuck D walks, for example, <laughs> right? I mean, I picked up on the fact that I... Uh, you know, it was stated pretty explicitly in a lot of the music that this is not exactly for you. You know, Ice Cube called white listeners eavesdroppers. Right. In an interview with Bell Hooks way before uh, Jamara called white rappers guests. guests yeah. Right? White yeah. listeners are eavesdroppers, but he said, yeah. you know, but they need to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got the sense, you know, I, I can learn a lot from this music, but yeah. I'm not supposed to go and buy a clock like a, a classmate of mine did in high school. Yeah. Kind of wore see, a clock I, like Flavor Flav. But I push back on that. Really? Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with you buying a clock. I really don't. Like, if you felt, you know, listen, we, in celebration of, like, right, where yeah. you're from, where I'm from, around the same time, sure. the same song had the same impact yeah. on us. Maybe there's nuances of Rockbox that I understood more. Yeah. But maybe you knew what the guitar sample was, and I didn't. You know what okay, I mean? Yeah. So, you, you understand what I mean? Like, it, but it's necessary to create what became hip hop. So, okay. there is a cultural blending that was necessary for hip hop to be what it is. It's not, I mean, once it got on the radio, once it became a viable commercial product, sure. it was necessary for it to not only, um, to, to assimilate, for lack of a better yeah. word. It's not a pure black and Hispanic product that is, you know, created and then given to white people sure. to say, sure. white people, you can't be involved in this pure art form. Okay. Like, no. We, so you can buy it, listen to it, but you're not supposed yeah, to. Yeah, and I don't it. believe that okay. that's, I don't believe that that's fair. And I don't believe that that has been the case probably for 20 years anyway. Do you remember the premise of the Rockbox video? Yeah. A little white kid trying yeah. to get in to see Ron DMC. It was probably like yeah. an eight or nine-year-old yeah. white boy. Yeah. And he was trying to get in, and at the end, like, Jay tosses him his hat and winks at him. About, he talked about that, too, and, you know, how deliberate <laughs> oh, for sure. that was. They yeah. knew what they were doing. Absolutely. So, no, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. And I've seen, I've never been to a public enemy show, obviously, from that time period, but I've seen footage. Yeah. Pretty white. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty white. And so, you know, there was a time where, and I'm sure Chuck D will attest to this, yeah. that especially a group like Public Enemy, speaking to black people, sure, for black people, white people are listening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, understand what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. While, meanwhile, we're listening to like, I don't know, who are we listening to at that point in time? I mean, you know, there was LL, there was, sure. um, you know, Coogee Rap or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and it was like, you know, Public Enemy by 89, 90, 91, they were a pop act. One of their first big tours was opening for the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Yeah. And I say pop in terms of aim, not in terms of genre oh, of yeah. music. Yeah. I mean, they were big global Sure. Rock and roll stadium. Yeah. But what good is that message if nobody with hears anthrax. it? Yeah, by what, 91, 92? Yeah, yeah. You understand? So, yeah, if you got a message, you want people to hear it, right? You yeah. want it to get out there. Yeah. You're not really trying to turn people away. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess yeah. to me, I got the sense that I was supposed to engage with it, but not mimic it. Yeah. And I don't well, think I could have put it in those terms as a kid, but. Yeah. Well, I like that. And okay. I think a lot of that is what I complimented you on okay. earlier in terms of not mimicking, just appreciating yeah, and appreciating everything about it, appreciating it enough to say, hey, look, this isn't my, this isn't, this doesn't come from me. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I love it and I'm of it. I guess my pushback, like I said, was on whether you get to be of it, like whether you get to be hip hop. Okay. And I think that no one is allowed to define anyone. And I guess that's where the guest in the house Definitely. comes from like yeah. you're a guest man like take your shoes off like, <laughs> be, be, 
you can be hip hop. Hey, I got my official invitation now. Yeah, you can be, <laughs> you can be hip hop. Like that's not, you know what I mean? Because I was talk, talking to my girl the other day. We were watching something, and she was talking about uh, we were watching the Apollo documentary Ooh, on okay. HBO, which was really yeah. Good I want to see that. Um, and we were talking about something, and she was saying like. Um, about black America and you know just how unique and the struggle and you know we were having like that conversation and then I was telling her about Cool Herc yeah and just how many of like the forefathers of hip hop are either from the Caribbean or first generation absolutely and how really the entire concept of the sound system and the the playing the DJing of records even getting on the mic and bantering between each other is a Jamaican thing. Like, oh, yeah. and how much we are like as a diaspora, you know, an African diaspora, you know, we get into these things, even amongst our communities of like, uh, you know, black American, you know, like yeah. in your Caribbean or you're African from Africa. And we have these like mix ups within our own community, divide and conquer. Like you just said, sure. And if we really did, you know, just historically, how much it blends, how much we're not different people, we're the same people. And so I took, I was giving her that example through hip hop, like as a black American in South Bronx, as hip hop is, it was a Jamaican immigrant. Absolutely. (laughs) Who did the first house party, like. So and his sister Cindy Campbell, right, was correct. like a promoter for correct. that show. Correct, too. it was her. She wanted to it was do her party. party. Yeah. yeah, but it was the first time, like the break beats and the whole thing. It was done, and it was his sound system. Yeah, that's a very Jamaican thing. Definitely. Grandmaster Flowers in Brooklyn. Yeah, right. Grandmaster uh, Flash was from the Caribbean. Correct, too. I believe he's from Barbados. Barbados, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we're, it's yeah. all connected and it's all interconnected. Um, so I was saying that. To say like uh, I lost my train of thought there. What was I saying? We're, we all come from the same place. Essentially, is that we can't lay claim? Can't lay claim. Okay. To, no one's allowed to lay claim to anything per se. Okay. They were, you know what I mean. They were white boys writing graffiti back. Sure. Then, you know, they were Spanish kids or I guess Latinx. Now we want to be correct. Yeah. They were Latinx kids writing graffiti. They were the B-boys. Sure. You know what I mean? I mean, they came up in the environment with us, but they were white boys writing graffiti as early as whenever. And Blake Leatham, for one, right? K.O.? Yeah. Did the cover for the MF Doom Operation Doomsday. Jonathan Leatham's brother. That's why you're here. Yeah, that's it, man. (laughs) I got those tidbits of info. (laughs) He went to school with uh, Slick Rick and Dana Dane. Chalk full of them. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And there you go. I mean, MC Search. Oh, yeah. I mean, shoot. How... Who's more hip hop than MC Search? I mean, he was there. And you know, I guess where I feel like I tread lightly as a guest is I think what you're saying makes perfect sense, but that same argument can be used in a really negative and hurtful way yeah. on the part of a white person. Yeah. So say you've got like um say a white college students called out for having dreadlocks. Right. And somebody says, Well that's you know, you really shouldn't have dreadlocks. Do you know the whole history of that? Do you know where this comes from? And he says, You know what? We're kind of all the same, and nobody can lay claim to anything. Right. I think if he wants to leave it there, it becomes really reductive and dangerous. Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that. And so, I mean, I guess there are boundaries. There are parameters. Yeah. Um, when I say no one can lay claim, I mean, you know, in that space where someone says, well, yo, like, if you wasn't, like, you know, how far does it go? And that's the question yeah. I always how far does it go? So if you're not black... American and yeah. from the Bronx, <laughs> then you're not hip hop. Like, how, where did we go? No, 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 no. Not that's, yeah. I'm not saying that. <laughs> like, you could be black, but you got to be like American. Well, if Caribbean people, sure. like, well, no, that's different. Like, they they can be there. They were here. They're they're cool. Like, but Australian well, Aborigines, right? Like, yeah, like but then how far have, do you like, take it? These, right, you have these. You you know you have kids from so. Uh, is a black kid from Oklahoma more hip hop than a Dominican kid 
from the South Bronx. What were his parents' occupations? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> then that, we get into class. You know, were his parents professors and bankers? Were his parents mechanics? I'm, that's all I'm saying. So, so I'm, you know, I'm obviously, saying, I don't, I don't feel like a white person shouldn't be involved in hip hop. Period. Because I've written like nine books about right. it. It would be pretty hypocritical for me to get up and teach a class on it and write these books and get right. like the little bit of money I get from the books. Right. And say like, well, but you know, but white people really shouldn't be involved right. in black culture. So right. I, I don't think it's as clear cut as that right. in any sense. But I think if you're gonna be involved in it. You got to be able to speak about it. Well, true. But I feel the same way about rock and roll, right? So yeah. uh, I've heard black guys say like, well, like leave this to us. Y'all do rock and roll. Like, well, that's us too. <laughs> yeah, or country for that matter, right? Well, well, that's us too. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I can't really name an American music form that doesn't have strong African-American roots. Yeah. I mean, they were Puritans here trying to like ban the drum, right? Like sure. they didn't like, but the they like the banjo. Yeah. Well, you know, that that's African <laughs> too. Right. And I mean, that's an African instrument an African that's, word, that's, but uh, for the most part, I think a lot of people, most people probably in 2019, if you say, Hey man, my friend plays the banjo, they're probably going to picture a white guy. Right. With a banjo on my knee. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I think it would be rare to see somebody associate banjo off the bat with black culture. So it was very difficult to separate. Yeah. American art forms, music, culture. Yeah. Without black people. It's just, it, it, it's impossible. The yeah. American experience. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's heavily contributed to by these group of people. Absolutely. Period. It is. You know what I mean? Because and I'm in many I mean, in many ways, the most unique experience in of itself in America is the black American. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like we're the only group and again I'm my parents are immigrants so sure. I'm not exactly black American okay but that those group of people are the only people in this country who have that experience all of us came here another way now sure I can trace my people to the Atlantic slave trade definitely but in America yeah different so and it, that experience has created what this country is. Absolutely. And I think that in order to, and that goes back to what you're saying about loving the people, which is kind of like the theme for, I guess, this. Yeah. You have to know that to me. That's the responsibility, I would yeah. say, for, for a, you know, someone from any culture getting into hip hop. Learn these people. Definitely. Learn why and how this was created. That's right. And that this is not just rapping words and dressing in baggy clothes and whatever else you deem to be hip-hop. And that's where the weird thing with the kid in the dreads comes in. Because Absolutely. you think that alone makes you hip-hop. And that's where the frustration and the anger comes. I don't see... Oh, yeah. I don't see... I mean, you have relationships with rappers and um i don't feel i don't see the angst that i see with other you know guys who engage in hip-hop coming from you because you're not fake and that's all we really care about okay are you fake yeah. or are you <laughs> like, do you have some actual investment here yeah right? yeah what's exactly yeah. what's your angle and I like how you connected loving black people to doing a little bit of research, you know, learning some history. Of where does this culture of hip hop come from? I mean, because I think it's too easy to take the I love black people along with black culture route. And then you find somebody saying, well, you know, my cousin's black mm. or, you know, my best friend is black or right. my nephew is black. Personal. And you're like, Personal. great. But yeah. but really, you know, have you have you done any work to yeah. like learn about their perspective and yeah. and the history you guys share? But we fall short on a lot of that. We as um, practitioners, um, participants in hip hop culture, we aren't holding people to a standard that yeah. they need to be held to, both black and white and other. 
sure. you know, um, every interview that I've ever heard in any era, whether it's Green Day or, or Blink-182 or, you know, Ed, or Eric Clapton or as far back as Sting, they're always referencing some musician oh, yeah. that came before them. Some guys who played a guitar somewhere, this left-handed yeah. guitar player, I looked up to him and that's what I, you know, it's always Definitely. whoever. And hip-hop is the only genre to me that folks just come in. You know, it used to be more referential. Yeah. I think it's more recent that, you know, you have young people coming in and rapping and they don't really know much about the history and don't care to learn it. Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm a big sports fan and I also yeah. see it in sports. I see guys yeah. come in, you know, whether it's the NBA, MLB, NFL, they have no idea. They don't yeah. care. They're like, I don't care. I just play basketball. I didn't yeah. watch basketball growing up. I just play it. Okay. It's like you don't know. It's like you don't even know why you're doing that. Like so, you have certain footwork, you have certain moves. You may be, you know, you know, pivot in the paint, shake once, shoot off your um, odd foot, fall away jumper. You don't even know where that move came from. Yeah. You're not so you're yeah. not studying, like you know what I mean. The the authors of this whole thing. You're not. You know what I mean. And it's, I don't know if it's young culture. I don't know. I don't know what it's about. There's a lot of that now. It's like people are just showing up and they're like, yeah. give me mine. And they're not doing any kind of, you know, homework on the culture. And so that to me, like I said, that's black or white. Yeah. Um, I see that across the board now. And that, well, it's so easy with the technology to just pull yourself right out. It's there. the easiest. Well, that too, but it's also the easiest point in time ever to find something yeah, else. That's true. You know how hard yeah. it was for me to find like the samples and stuff like that when oh, we yeah. were back when we were doing it. We're like, what's this sample? And we're like digging and we're trying. And now you can just <laughs> hold the phone up to something, and it tells you the name of the song. Tells you the name of the song. Like, come on. I remember going to the public library trying to find books I'd heard mentioned in hip hop songs, and just being like, they don't have Soul on Ice. You know, wow. why don't yeah. they have that here wow. in this small town Kentucky library? Yeah. How? <laughs> how would they not have Eldridge Cleaver here? Hey, hello, <laughs> Eldridge Cleaver. You heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think it, it's a lot to expect of people because uh, I don't think public education and sometimes even university education is really teaching people the history that they should come out with. God forbid you, you know, start thinking for yourself. Yeah. We don't want that. And then it's it's work, you know, even though the technology is there, who's got time at the end of the day that they really feel like, you know, I want to go learn something. I want to go yeah. learn more about this Who all on my own. about the thing that they do. And, you know, we're bombarded with news developments all day long. Breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. So even if you're on your phone trying yeah. to learn a little bit of history, there's so much shit flying yeah. at you 24 hours a day, 90% right? percent of it is complete crap. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you knew a little more history, you might be able to contextualize it and say, oh, I see what's going on here. You because know, it's happened We've before. been through this before. Yeah. Yeah. 15 times. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy, it's crazy, but I mean, you know, we're hoping that you know, through our dialogue, man, we can kind of yeah. add some perspective. Definitely, just from two brothers. So, like yeah, hip hop brother. Well, I'm a brother, yeah, he's my brother, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And hopefully, you can uh, make it through an episode, people out there listening, without uh, breaking news interrupting, yeah. popping up on your phone. Try not to click it. Try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn off in. those notifications yeah, for a few minutes. Absolutely. It, it makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, tune in, hang out with us. My yeah. phone's off. Hey, you know, mine too. You don't want your phone going off in the studio. No, no, that's whack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good first episode right I, there. I feel hey, good about I don't, it. I mean, anything else would be overkill. Yeah. We'll get them next time. We'll get it, man. Yeah. So uh, thanks, people out there listening. Um, I'm Mickey Hess. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. Wait. Well, we must. We have to start this off correctly. Oh, yeah. Give us something. Oh, okay. All right. So I'll read the little piece of the introduction. And this is from my book, A Guest in the House of Hip Hop, How Rap Music 
taught a kid from Kentucky what a white ally should be. And this is our sharing means caring. This is sharing means caring. Segment because, I mean. You, you got to have your section. For us to sit here and talk for an hour, yeah. you guys would want to know that we really do the thing that we said you we do. You want to know who we are, so what we'll, we do during the We'll day. try and validate ourselves. So I'll read a couple paragraphs, and then we'll see if maybe Dave will give us a rhyme. Uh, maybe. We'll see what happens. Well, yeah. if, you say, <laughs> if you say, give me a rhyme, you can't say Dave. You have to say Trump. Trump. Yeah, That's I, right. I, I'm sorry. It's all awesome. change hats. That's yeah, right. Yeah. It's like Clark Kent and Superman. There you go. That's it. So this is the introduction to guests in the house of hip hop, which I put out last year. Introduction: What should a white ally do? Don't start with this book, or at least don't stop with it. Read Joma Luo, Claudia Rankine, Rennie Edo Lodge, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, Patrice Con Colors, and Asha Bandeli, Michelle Alexander, Carol Anderson, Morgan Jerkins, Brittany Cooper. M.K. Asante, Ibram X. Kendi, Jeffrey O.G. Agbar, Harry Allen, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Michael Eric Dyson, and other black writers at the heart of a renewed and much-needed conversation about race and racism in the United States. You certainly don't want the only book you read about race to have been written by a white author like me. Nobody's exactly clamoring to read what a middle-aged white guy has to say about hip-hop. But at the same time, I see white authors too comfortable leaving the work of discussing race and racism to authors of color, which both overburdens their writing and reinforces the concept of race as a topic white people aren't asked to think much about. My perspective certainly shouldn't replace that of a black writer, but it may provide a point of entry to show the power of black voices on the developing mind of a white kid whose environment encouraged them not to listen. Too often, white writers focus on showing they know the right things to say when it comes to race without addressing how they learned in the first place and how they, over, they worked to overcome the mistakes they made along the way. That's the story I'll try to tell here. This is a book about how a white man born into racial isolation in small-town America grew up to study and teach the black culture of hip-hop. Born just outside of Science Hill, Kentucky, I grew up listening to the militant rap of Public Enemy, while living in a place where the state song still included the word, quote, darkies. If it weren't for hip-hop music and my mother's belief in higher education, I could have slipped into a lifetime of closed-mindedness and casual racism. Growing up in rural Kentucky in the 80s and 90s, I had no black teachers, few black classmates, and no black members of my church congregation. This racial isolation fostered a smug certainty about our way of life and a fear that it was threatened by the mere suggestion that there were other ways. Listening to hip-hop made me have to think about what it means to be white. While the environment in my hometown encouraged me to avoid or even mock such self-examination, I listened to so much hip-hop and read so many books about it that when I went on to graduate school, it was a natural choice of topic for my doctoral dissertation. Yet the more I studied hip-hop, the more I came to look like part of the problem. I was another white professor teaching a black subject, landing a job that could have gone to a black scholar. My dissertation in the book at Spawn got me a job teaching hip-hop and American culture at one of the hundreds of U.S. universities that offer plenty of hip-hop courses but employ embarrassingly low numbers of black professors. Schemes like this one make Americans mistrust white people who participate too deeply in black culture, yet backing away from black culture entirely is too easy a solution. As a white professor with a long-standing commitment to teaching hip-hop music and culture, I maintain that white people have a responsibility to educate themselves by listening to black voices and then teach other whites to face the way they benefit from racial injustices, even as I inevitably continue to benefit from them myself. As a white hip-hop scholar, I can never allow myself to get too comfortable or too familiar because writing about white people's fraught relationship with hip-hop might be my most important contribution. Very cool. Thank you. Very cool. All right, let's see what we have. All right. Tom's uh, in the building, right? Yeah. Okay. That was kind of long, so maybe I'll do something. Maybe <laughs> I'll do something it. longer. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> I never remember my rhymes, by the way. Quick story. Generally, we're performing. I'll go completely blank. I've gone so blank really? to the point where, like, I'll be with, like, you know, my guys. And, like, the chorus will be going and it's like maybe three words left in the chorus, uh -huh. and I cannot remember my rhyme. And it's just like, ooh. And I'm like, if this word, he finishes this word, and I don't have the first word, and then I'll have like four bars in, but I won't have like the first word. And generally it's like, 
See, I keep mine right there in front of me. Okay. I just read off the page. You see, that's not going to work for me, right? <laughs> that's and easy. then it's like, first word, we're good. Yeah. But it's like a very tense situation, right? I'll bet. So uh, I'm just stalling while I try and remember the first word. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see what we're going to do. Uh, divine purpose. Diamond minds in the verses. Every line's like worship. And praise, Jesus saves. I'm standing on the shoulders of slaves. My name's now engraved in the path that they paved. I mastered the trade. My staff only acts for the brave. The rest we build from the bottom up to the ground beneath. Niggas think they woke, but they sound asleep. and sound like sheep, just clowns off beat, thinking they deep, but they shallow as a kiddie pool. Pacified by the symbols and the rituals. Never me, I'm more critical. Truth spitting. Who you kidding? I'm on my mission, moving like I'm Biko. On the mission, moving for my people. But some of y'all is evil. I see snipers aiming from the steeple. But I got rifles for them, I ain't feeble. Lord knows, I don't do award shows. See ciphers trying to put two in your torso. Motherfuck the Lord, though. Politicians also, followed in the bratwurst. Trying to calm another racial outburst. I don't ride for them, only God who I ride for. My tribe who I die for. Strive to provide more. It's time for self-determination. That's what I'm for. Until then, we grind more. We grind more. Mm. There you go. All right. That was new too. Really? Yeah, I'm still sharp. Hey, you I'm got still it. Still sharp. You got it. That yeah, sounded good. Yeah, I'm still sharp. Was that yeah. the hocus pocus flow? <laughs> I remember that. That might be the hocus pocus flow. Yeah, that right? might be the hocus pocus flow. That's pretty good. That's going back. I forgot. It's going that's, back 2008. That's, that's real. Good. So right that right is there. 2008. That's the classic yeah. charm dig. Yeah. I remember from there way you back. Go. Yeah, that's when I used to yell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, that's a wrap, man. Gets in the house. Podcast episode one. one. Dr. Mickey Hess. Trom Diggs. The AKA former David Dr. Trom Love. Dr. Yeah. Trom Love. Yeah, there you go. That's my old name. Was it? Yeah. So yeah. you were a doctor. I was a doctor. What happened? How'd you lose that title? Those my credentials. <laughs> really? I, <don't> know. <laughs> I think once a doctor, you're always oh, a doctor. Oh, is a doctor? Right? So says me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was Dr. Dre and then the that's other true. Dr. Dre. And then, yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be Dr. Trom. Love. Yeah. I don't know why to love. Dre used to have the stethoscope. Yeah, that was so and the cool. Sequence. And the sequence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that was episode one. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you back for episode two. Sounds good. Mm